0: It's up to us human beings to match our thought process, our life, and our balance within the natural cycle of the earth and the environment. Balance is big in our Blackfoot culture. Uh, But our language has all the secrets into how to do that. The children really bring life to all that. All these understandings and beliefs are useless unless they are lived. This is a living system of understanding.
1: Welcome to the Stories for Action podcast, the Life in the Land series, where we hear from folks that live and work within the landscapes of Montana, gaining perspectives that can be applied globally on what is needed to move forward in a positive relationship with the land and one another in an ever-changing world. These are the interviews from the film series Life in the Land in their entirety. I'm your host, Laura Tomov. Today we hear from Jesse DeRosier, and is a teacher of the Blackfeet language, teaching at the Pagan Institute, Cutswood School, in Browning, Montana, and at the Blackfeet Community College. Jesse is also an artist, an advocate, a veteran, a husband, and father. The other podcast episodes and the film of Voices from the Blackfeet Nation, which this conversation with Jesse is a part of, is co-produced by Leilani Upham of Iron Shield Creative. It is Leilani who you'll hear in this episode speaking with Jesse. Leilani and I joined Jesse on the Blackfeet reservation last summer. It was a hot July day, and we stood in the much-appreciated shade of an aspen grove, leaves shimmering overhead. Through the haze from distant fires, the mountains of the Blackfeet homelands plummeted up from the prairie behind us. Jesse shares with us about the intricate connection of the Blackfeet language to the land and how Blackfeet ways of life are directly embodied in the language. For over a century, attempts were made to eliminate indigenous languages through forced boarding school systems and other federal policies of assimilation. About 20 years ago, the existence of the Blackfeet language was threatened as there were no young speakers remaining. But with efforts from within the community, such as the Pagan Institute, started by the late Daryl Kipp, there are over a hundred new language learners who are carrying it on. Jesse shares the hope he gains from witnessing the young members of the community connecting to their culture. He also speaks to the connections to the Badger II medicine area, and the significance of this land being stewarded by the Blackfeet people, as it has been for thousands of years.
0: Uh, my English name is Jesse DeRosier. I'm a teacher at uh, Pagan Institute Cutswood School, uh, as well as Blackfeet Community College, and a member of Blackfeet Tribe.
2: Can you talk to us about uh, the language and how it relates to us as a people uh, connected to the land and to the natural world?
0: So language is our connection to our way of life. I think there's three important factors in that is is the way we live our day-to-day life. The things we do, uh, the reasons we do them, our ceremonial protocols, everything is included in that The understanding of it all comes through in our language, you know. And then with that, we have a thought process of It's the thinking indigenous, thinking like a human, you know, it all relates back together. But it's all very deeply connected within our environment. Uh, Within our language, there's deep science knowledge, science-based knowledge and practice, you know, and I'd come from thousands of years of observation and living within an environment. Um, A lot of our terms in Blackfoot have a lot of history in them. Uh, for example, the simple word for mountains, in Blackfoot we say me stucky, you know, and the sign is like so. What it literally is translating to is being forced up, you know. So if we look at that word for a second and we understand the evolution of mountains and how they were created through tectonic plates shifting, forcing the earth up, you know, it, it gives a great example of why we call them that, you know, me stucky. Uh, and a lot of our terms for our environment have, relate to those. Um, when I see aspen trees, I always go back to Nopi stories and thinking about the eyeballs, you know. Uh, but cottonwood trees, we call nitsitapi mitzis. it's a, a real tree. The resources that we utilized uh, in a big part of our cultural way of knowing, we we referred to them as real, nitsitapi you know, and it's it up. And I guess a better translation of that is integrity. When our, we speak our language, it's been translated by an elder of mine uh, as language of integrity. You know, it's, it's showing that we know and we fully understand and utilize these tools. That's what we consider the things that are real. Um, the cottonwood tree has a big significance within our ways of knowing, ways of life. Uh, not only is it used for our firewood, but it's represented in our ogon, you know, and has cultural significance. But there are several plants and animals in that way, you know. When we talk about animals and our connection, you know, we really learned our society structures and ways of living off of the land based off of what we observed in nature, and the animals played a big role in that. Specifically, the e neel the buffalo you know the word for buffalo is very close to that of death because the buffalo was our way of life you know and we all know that death is also a part of life but we called buffalo meat real meat you know that was the food source that fed our people and when it comes to gaining knowledge and learning language it's been said the best way to learn that is by eating buffalo eating buffalo tongue that'll teach us our our ways again, teach us our history, teach us our stories, our, our language, because our language comes directly from the earth. It's tied to the earth, you know. Um, and for anybody who believes our, our traditional ways of knowing are gone. They just need to take a trip up t- to these areas here, to our mistakis, to our soki, our prairies, the hills, you know, our, our sites, our locations. This is where all of our knowledge came from all of our ways of knowing and existence have came from is not just the animals but the environment as well. In Blackfoot we have a verb-based language as opposed to English that has a noun base. Uh, and with a noun-based language there's a big difference in our perception of what we see every day, you know. Linguists have proved that the world that we see and the ability to translate it into thought and it all comes from our language. So when we're limited to an English noun-based language, we do not see the animacy that's around us, the living beings that exist around us uh, because of the noun-based language. In a noun language like English, the only animate object is myself moving through a stagnant world. Timeline is all linear, you know, but everything is Move, you know, I'm moving around, right? Or in Blackfoot thinking, it's a verb-based language. Everything has its own spirit. It duck, its own life. And not only am I the only thing moving, everything else is moving and shifting around me. That's why we believe in uh, the circle. You know, everything comes around into a circle. Everything has a cycle. Um, and it's up to us human beings to match our thought process, our life, and our balance within the natural cycle of the earth and the environment. Um, And that's how we perceived a healthy way of living, is living within that balance. Balance is big in our Blackfoot culture. Uh, But our language has all the secrets into how to do that. You know, we have all the research, all the theses, all the master's statements, all the research that's been done for thousands of years is within our language it's built within there so that thought process is easy to follow within a language now when we take the language away we still have thousands of years of practice you know we still have a thing called Indian time we still have a difference of how we look at ownership and it, we're still adjusting to this assimilation but going back to the language it makes it clear how our thought process worked and it's directly in line with the environment and what we observed around us.
2: Okay. Can you talk a little bit about how, you know, over the years you've touched on it of uh, us, you know, kind of our language is, is, has been lost, but it's been revitalized and coming back. But in that in that time frame of it, the, even though it was lost, mm-hmm. um, how we as uh, um, Scotty Bunny have continued to um, live those values as far as like how our language does relate to the earth and the natural world. Mm. And we still do that even though we're living English. Yeah,
0: Yeah. see, going back, when we're talking about our way of life, it's not directly meaning living in a lodge, living in a teepee and hunting buffalo every day. One thing that our people have been great at is adapting. We've constantly have have adapted. And if you even look at uh, archaeology, showing the The movements of our people going from mountains to prairies and back and forth and adapting very fast, Um, adapting from the dog to the horse, you know, and beyond that. It's, It's not out of our limitations to adapt to this modern society, but maintaining our integrity of who we are, you know, keeping the morals and the values, the respect and the love that's been passed on for thousands of years. Um, and of course we've, we've been able to do that without a lot of use of our language. Um, it's just a lot easier to practice with it. Because the language has instilled a, a mindset of how to be, how to be a human being again, you know. Um, I think the late John Trudell said something like, as human beings we're living in a world that forgot what it's like to be human, you know. And the phrase has been coined as decolonizing, you know that mindset of realizing what's important in life, that material value and individual success is is meaningless, you know, when we're talking about the greater good of all. Uh, And our people were a communal-based people who thought about the betterment of all first. So even though we adjusted to English, a lot of the same mindsets uh, of Blackfoot practice maintained Um, a lot of the values and how we looked after one another, especially through the hard times. You know, if you look at our family structures, um, and specifically the women, you know, the strength of our women have really um, pushed a lot of that forward onto the next generation. Um, But the respect and the love that we hold for our women, our grandmothers, you know, a lot of us were taught, male and female, by grandmothers. You know, and I think it was through their love and understanding that we maintained that understanding of who we are. Um, And we're coming back around now to a time where our youth are now being encouraged to go back to that understanding. Um, We've had a dark history with, you know, what happened to assimilation, boarding schools and things like that, that was very disruptive. But at the same time, uh, it showed the resilience of our people to hold on to what they felt was important. You know, and those mindsets of being respectful to the earth, being respectful to one another, being respectful to yourself and true to yourself, you know, those are all Blackfoot values that we teach, um, love and respect. Um, And I think that's being re-instilled now with the language and the resurgence of our language. Um, We're able to see that a lot more through our community. But there has been a lot of people who've, who've maintained that understanding, you know, it shows our resilience.
2: Can you talk about um, anything that comes to mind as far as like currently that you see this being implemented where, uh, you, where you see those value systems being operated?
0: Mm-hmm. I see it with the youth a lot more, especially working at the emergent school there at Cutswood, the children really bring life to all that. You know, all these understandings and beliefs are useless unless they are lived. This is a living um, system of understanding, right? And with any living system, there's change and there's adaptations. And I see our youth and our children adapting to these thinking systems and ways of knowing and really taking them on to the next level. You know, with every generation that comes forward, I think we Push it forward a little bit more, going back to that original understanding, that original connection, um, and it's really inspiring to see in our youth. You could, when they start to learn language, they gain their identity back. You know, um, when you hear them proudly introduce themselves in their language with their Blackfoot name, you know, they're regaining that sense of identity, um, and you see the the immense uh, respect they have with that you know they know they don't know how big of a burden it is to carry they don't know the work that's gone in but they know the beauty of it they know the reward of it you know and i think as adults a lot of learners uh, have a lot of fears in changing you know a lot of fears and getting breaking that english mindset um, breaking traditions and things like that. But with children, it comes natural to go back, you know. Um, but regaining that is regaining their, our identity. And I see it in our community when our kids are playing, when, the way they address one another, you know, the way they respect our environment, you know. Our, our kids, they utilize uh, willows to make their traditional games. And I see the care that they, they give to the outdoors, you know. I see that they're recognizing these trees as living, you know. They're not just seeing them as, oh, they're just trees. It don't matter if we cut them all down. They're seeing the connection with themselves in those trees, you know. So it's a a wonderful thing to see that respect and that love back into the environment. But also to the animals. You see, many of our students and kids especially have pets and animals. And a lot of the times our students will name them Blackfoot names, you know, and they'll care for them a little extra. Um, and it's really they really have that um, relationships with their environment and the animals. I think a lot better when they understand it in the language. You know, even my girls, they'll say, "Oh, you got to talk Blackfoot to our dog. He understands Blackfoot. But he don't know English." You know, so in their minds, they're still connecting to those animals in that way. You know, um, so it's wonderful to see that connection with the other things in the environment you know, rather than just noun-based inanimate objects, they're seeing them as living beings, you know, and that's what's beautiful.
1: We ask Jesse about the area now known as the Badger 2 Medicine. Jesse speaks about the connection of this area to the Blackfeet people that has existed since time immemorial. This area, as well as what is now part of Glacier National Park, makes up what is known as the Seated Strip, which was the subject of the agreement of 1895 between the Blackfeet people and the U.S. government. The Badger-2 medicine is currently under U.S. Forest Service jurisdiction, and over the last several decades, members of the Blackfeet tribe, as well as other partners and interests, have defended the Badger-2 medicine against oil and gas leases. At this time, the future official management of the Badger-2 medicine is unknown, and many Blackfeet tribal members are advocating to have true Blackfeet leadership on the official management of this area.
0: Uh, so Badger to Medicine, uh, the name comes from translations of our, our area, Badger Creek and to Medicine River. Badger Creek, Misinski, uh was our traditional name for that river. And to Medicine, Natyukyukka, uh, or Natyukyukka, see, came from uh, an encampment of two medicine lodges that were pitched on that river. Uh, these two prominent rivers are what make up it within the Badger to Medicine and Badger Canyon area um, and during the 1895 agreement uh, that area was known as the Ceded Strip um, and later in 1910 or I've heard 1912 when Glacier National Park came about they left that portion out of the park um, but since the beginning of time that area has been prominent within our people. If we look at the peaks and the names of some of the mountains in in that area such as Featherwoman, Scarface, you know these are prominent characters within our origin stories in our creation stories um, and it's not that Badger to Medicine is the only sacred site within our territory. It's the last sacred site. If we look at um, what areas have been taken from us and, you know, opened up to private development or uh, mining or uh, construction and things like that. A lot of our areas have been sabotaged in that way. Badger is the last place for that uh, look at our, our past, you know. Uh, but to us, it's our, it is our Holy Land, it is our Vatican, you know, it, it holds the resources that maintain all the values of Blackfoot culture. Um, Badger to Medicine is a grocery store, you know, for hunting and gathering food sources. Uh, one of the names we call our territory is our food source, you know, and that can be one way to define Badger to Medicine with the abundance of game as well as berries, roots, and things to harvest, to eat. It also could be a medical center, you know. We refer to the hospital as you know, people who make us feel good. But it comes from the root of singing, you know. The, the practice of healing comes from song. But also in our medicines, our roots, uh, and each one of them carry a song of healing and things like that. And, and that can still be harvested within the Badger area. So not only is it a grocery store, it's our hospital, um, but for healing in general, healing the spirit, duck, um, and healing wounds of post-traumatic stress, things like that. The environment and nature we've recognized as people um, is in very important in regaining that balance and understanding and that's another Area that we've practiced ceremonial things that became a sacred grounds for us, you know. So, not only is it utilized for everyday functions, but also a big area for healing, you know, and maintaining our identity as Blackfoot people. Um, So, that area I got involved in after uh, hearing about the state it was in. It started in the 80s with uh, the oil developments, you know, and the tribe stepping up. And there's been a lot of people who stepped up before me. You know, I, I didn't do anything new or unique. I just joined in and felt like I had to do my part in protecting our area. Uh, as a Blackfoot person and a Blackfoot man, culturally, our, our role was the first line of defense, you know. Um, our most sacred people within our camp were our children and our elders. Um, for both rep- representing the past and the future, um, and our women were held in a very high regard. You know, it was the, it was the man's duty to instill our women's safety, uh, so that our people can carry on. You know, um, we said in our war songs, if we going out to battle, if we don't make it back, our women will have more children. You know, so it goes to show our our lives were meaningless unless the community was healthy. You know. So I wanted to help um, stand and protect badger 2 medicine in that area. Um, I know that there's been a lot of a lot of great people who've who've done great work in preserving it, protecting it. You know, I don't like to say preserve because that implies that we don't utilize it. You know, it's still being very much utilized to this day, as it has been for thousands of years. Um, but you know maintaining that connection we have with that area is very important and I think that the more awareness we spread through that the more people will understand the importance of that Um, and I know that there's been uh, certain leaders within our council and stuff who've done great work in protecting that as well and they've had help in the political realm you know nationally um, to instill certain protections but I think the fight always continues until it's completely in our hands. I think it needs to be maintained and protected within our people um, because because of the sacredness of it, you know um, there's a ton of other areas that are open within our territories, and that that one there should maintain the way it is. Um, but that that was my thinking as a As a warrior and as a male, it was my duty and obligation to protect that. And I'm not taking anything away from the female warriors that we've had, because culturally we've had plenty of female warriors who've sacrificed for our people. You know, especially in this modern era, I think a lot of our most prominent warriors to date, and in my lifetime and things, have been women, you know, so um, I'm not excluding women in any sense when I say that. Um, but yeah, Badger to Medicine is is a piece of our identity that we must maintain, you know. Um, we, can't, we can never say that we own land, and that's something in Blackfoot that doesn't exist. Uh, the idea of ownership is completely different. But as I mentioned, this is our food source, you know, and with that, our origin stories come from this area. Um, so because of that, it's more proper to say that I'm from this area. I'm part of this area, and therefore this area is part of me, you know. Um, And a connection that we can have with that and share is the short story on cottonwood trees, going back to the importance of cottonwood trees. Historically, our people, when they would pass away, their bodies would be placed in the trees, you know. And over time, their bodies would fall to the earth, and animals would eat the meat, things like that, but their blood and their bones would deteriorate into the soil and feed the earth and therefore feed the roots to the cottonwood trees. So our DNA is within cottonwood trees. That's why we refer to them as meets. You know, and within that area, Badger 2 Medicine, our people are in that soil, you know, sacredly we've put down tobacco, we've had ceremonies, we've had ties to that area for thousands of years. We are a part of that soil, you know, protecting that area is protecting our body. It's a part of us, you know, we have to look at it in that sense, because that's how we look at our environment. They're parts of our body, you know, In our Blackfoot understanding, the way of ownership is we only own our bodies. So the things we consider very sacred to us, they're part of our bodies. That's why a white calf in the 1895 agreement said, Chief Mountain is my head, now my head is cut off. You know, that's showing the importance of Chief Mountain, but also showing the connection that we have to our areas. And Badger to Medicine is definitely a part of our bodies. If Chief Mountain is the head, then Badger to Medicine is our heart. So it's important to maintain that um, area for our, for our identity for our future generations, you know. I think it's our obligation and duty to, to maintain that for future generations so they have the opportunities to, to live with that and utilize that area in ways that they find necessary.
1: Thank you so much to Jesse DeRozier for speaking with Leilani and I. You can learn more about the Pagan Institute at PaganInstitute.org, P-I-E-G-A-N Institute. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram. This episode was co-produced by Leilani Upham of Iron Shield Creative, which fosters the natural world and human connection through indigenous storytelling in Montana. Find out more at IronshieldCreative.com, and they're also on Facebook and Instagram. You can find all of these links on this episode's show notes. Be sure to check out the other four podcast episodes featuring voices from the Blackfeet Nation, including the episode with Lauren Monroe Jr., who speaks more on the Badger 2 Medicine and the Seated Strip. You can find the entirety of the Life in the Land project at lifeintheland.org with films and podcasts from four regions of Montana. And thanks to Peyton Butler for editing assistance on this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. This episode was recorded on the homelands of the Omskapi-Pakani Blackfeet Nation, who interacted with and stewarded these lands for thousands of years. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories for Action and learn about all of our work at storiesforaction.org. You can browse inspiring stories from others or submit your own for us to share. Thank you all for listening and for being a part of our community where our mission is to use the power of storytelling to share human connection and advance a thriving planet for all. The entirety of the Life in the Land project is made possible completely through donation support. We'd like to thank the following generous supporters, Crocus Foundation, Bioregions International, the Wilberforce Foundation, World Wildlife Fund, Montana Forest Collaboration Network, the Jim Scott Family, Marina Weatherly, Montana DEQ's Abandoned Mine Lands Program, Montana Conservation Corps, Berg Conservancy of the Rockies, Winna Aces, the Milton Ranch, Northern Great Plains Joint Venture, Montana Land Reliance, Joan and Cliff Montaigne, and additional support from Heart of the Rockies, Montana Watershed Coordination Council, Rancher Stewardship Alliance, Lower Clark Park Watershed Group, Big Hole Watershed Committee, Bill Long and Billy Miller, Gary Whitted, Arthur Lubis, Rodney Fry, Chris Boyer, Gary Burnett, Daniel Beal and Julia Becker, Tom Palmer, Chris King, the Mannix Brothers Ranch, Ann Schrader, and a special thank you to the Common Ground Project. You can support future Life in the Land work with a tax-deductible contribution at lifeintheland.org.